Hello, this is Steve Bailey, welcoming you to episode 29 of Hard Boiled Eggs and Nuts, a Laurel and Hardy podcast. Now, I want to uh, preface this particular episode with a couple of caveats. First off, usually I do movie reviews, mostly of Laurel and Hardy movies on this podcast. Today, instead of movie reviews, I'm going to do a book review. My second warning is that although I am officially listing this as a book review, it might come off to you as a little bit more like a rant. I try not to get too personal on this uh, podcast because I want to be inviting. I want it to be enjoyable. But I think in this particular instance, I should express myself as fully as possible. Not in a graphic or nasty way, but I'm definitely going to vent a few things. So please bear with me this one time. There is a new book out you may or may not know about. It is titled He, a Novel, written by a man named John Connolly. I don't profess to be familiar with any of his other work. All I know is what is written on the dust jacket, that he has uh, written a series of um, of mystery novels and has gotten a couple of awards for those. Good for him. Uh, But there was a local write-up a couple of weeks ago about this book in our our newspaper. And my wife, who is not even a Laurel and Hardy fan, made it a point to point that out to me. And so I asked about ordering the book, which I did. I received it a couple of days ago and uh, read through it. And I must say it's a supreme disappointment. And I'm going to explain the many ways in which it is. This book professes to be a look into the mind of Stan Laurel. It's a fictionalized version of his life. And the author makes no bones about how he's trying to get inside his brain. He doesn't say that, actually. But it's obvious that he's trying to, um, even though he's writing in the third person, he's trying to express it supposedly from the viewpoint of Stan Laurel, uh, which would be all right, I suppose, if he was really doing that, if he had somehow... uh, entered his mind via ESP and was able to see it properly. But I have a number of problems with this book. First of all, the title, He, a novel. Uh, Why he? Because that is how Stan Laurel is referred to throughout the book. Whenever uh, anything happens to him, rather than saying Stan did this or Stan did that, he says he did this, he did that. Uh, I don't know what the point of that is, other than to be a conceit or an affectation. It doesn't add anything to the story, and it also makes for, I would say, an an awful book title, or at least an awkward one. He, a novel, as opposed to what? He, the opera? I don't know. That's my little nitpicky thing, but that's the least of my concerns. Uh, I feel the whole book is written in uh, what I will call sob sister style, and I'm not the first person who used that phrase in reference to Stan Laurel, as I will explain a little later. But it is very much written in uh, Saab's sister style. It's written as though, well, first off, it takes the viewpoint of going back and forth between Stan, the end of Stan's life in 1965 and supposedly his recollections of everything that happened before that, from his growing up years to getting the movies to meeting Oliver Hardy and working with him and so forth. Again, that would be fine if it was had a solid viewpoint, I'd say. But the way it's, the way it's done is sort of like, if you've seen The Godfather Part Two, it's that kind of a narrative. As I say, it goes between the past and the end of Laurel's present. 
Uh, and believe me, that is where the comparison ends because this is nothing like the masterful movie Godfather 2. Uh, in fact, it's very, very uh, uh, amateurish, amateurishly done. Uh, it bothers me for many reasons. Um, the author has done his research about Stan Laurel's life. That's made perfectly obvious because he brings up every little fact from Stan's life and every person who, who uh, ever touched his life who has been noted in Laurel's history. Um, there was May Laurel, his first so-called first wife. It was his common-law wife because she lived with him for many years, even though she was married to someone else. So they mentioned May Laurel, or he mentioned May Laurel, Hal Roach, Charlie Chaplin, and of course Oliver Hardy, and many other people. And it's almost done as a name dropping because, again, it doesn't add anything to their personalities any more than the author adds to Stan Laurel's. And to me it has the effect as though he took every single fact he could ever find about Stan Laurel and dipped it in a vat of cliché. I'm going to read just one passage, one short paragraph, It'll give you an idea how this is written. Uh, the Santa Monica apartment in which he lives rents for $80 a month. His name is in the phone book. If he was ever a star, and he remembers being a star, so this must have been the case, the light of it has long since faded, and what remains is only a gentle senescence. Oh, let's start right there. That, that that's unfortunately, is the tone of the entire book. Uh, when he looks back on stuff, he looks back on it wistfully, even some of his successes he sort of uh, has regrets about. And when it comes to the, the so-called present part, as I say, the last year of his life or so that he deals with, he makes it sound as though Stan is this woe-begotten, fully forgotten man who is just sort of clinging to memories of his past and his, his fame. And anybody who has ever read anything about Laurel and Hardy knows that that's not the case unless some Laurel and Hardy biographers really, really got it wrong. Now, I have no doubt that Mr. Laurel was very saddened at the passing of Oliver Hardy, but according to people who lived with him and worked with him, including John McCabe, who wrote the seminal biography that got them re-going re in the public eye, uh, he was very happy with his lot in life, other than, of course, Laurel's death. He had a, finally had a wife who truly loved him and indulged him, uh, he had a modest but hardly starving uh, living, and I'll get into that a little later as well. Lived in a, you know, a seaside apartment in Santa Monica. He saw fans. He saw famous fans, or like Dick Van Dyke and Peter Sellers, non-famous fans whom he would welcome and entertain for an afternoon. Very gregarious, very happy from all accounts. And to portray him as this man who is, uh, you know, I would say losing his mind, basically, uh, the way that's depicted here. It does him a great disservice. Now, why am I so incensed about all this? Because perhaps I shouldn't be. The casual reader will say, well, it's just a novel. It's obviously not meant to be a biography. You know, it's taken from the author's point of view of Stan Laurel's life. And if you could look at it just that way, that would be fine, except that he uses all of these facts. I mean, it's funny that the facts, the actual facts about Laurel's life, he gets perfectly correct, except for the one, the oft-quoted myth, and I'll smash it right here, about Laurel having been married eight times, which John McCabe already well covered in a couple of his books. Let's get this straight right here. There was May Laurel, 
as I say, his common law wife. There was his first official wife, Lois, who he married, divorced, and remarried at some different points. Uh, his second wife was uh, a strange foreign woman. I forget her name at the moment. Uh, but uh, she was very tumultuous to him. And it was after he divorced her that he remarried Lois, divorced her again, and then finally found eternal happiness with his final wife, Ida. So let's add that up. Common law wife, uh, two marriages to one woman, a third woman was married, and then finally his last wife. That's four official marriages, five if you want to count the, the uh, common law wife. Now that's that's a pretty impressive record, marriage-wise. I mean, Johnny Carson didn't even make it that far. But still, this eight times business, it's just it's a way of just sort of throwing something up against the wall and watching it stick, you know, and people are fascinated by it, and it's not true. Other than that, the, the problem is that he does get so many facts correct because my biggest fear about this book is that people who don't know enough about Laurel, Stan Laurel or Laurel and Hardy will read this and see all these well-written facts and take it as a biography, even though it's a novel, or they will at least take it as semi-seriously. And there's no way that they should. Uh, it depicts Laurel completely differently than any biography, any honest-to-gosh biography I've ever read about him. And the book wants to have it both ways. It, it wants to say, oh, it's just a novel. Again, it's just a conceit. It's fictionalized. So if it's fictionalized, why go to all this trouble to bring in all these facts and all these famous people? To legitimize the story is what I say, and I don't, and I think it, again, it does a great disservice to Mr. Laurel's life to do it that way. Um, to finish up on this note, uh, as I say, the author makes it quite clear, pretentiously so, that he he feels as though he's getting into the mind of Stan Laurel. Well, let me play that game too. Let me go ahead and get into the mind of Stan Laurel for a minute, and I can do it legitimately because I would like to quote from the book that I just referred to, John McCabe's 1961 biography, Mr. Laurel and Mr. Hardy, which, as I say, was seminal, in, along with some uh, reissues of their films and so forth, in bringing them back into the public eye in the 1960s. Uh, in a chapter in that book towards the end, titled The Rest of the Story, McCabe mentions that, uh, as I have mentioned, Laurel was a fairly happy fellow, and there were only a couple of times that he saw Laurel get angry about something. One of those was about when uh, they had a discussion about the films that Laurel and Hardy made for 20th Century Fox, which were, the control of them was taken out of Laurel's hands. He had to go through the big studio system and do it their way, and for a lot of it wasn't consulted on the making of the movies. And so he was very unhappy about that, and he expresses that in the book. So that's the first thing, first time McCabe saw him really angry. Here's the second time, and I'm going to give a lengthy quote, so please bear with me. On the other matter that excited Stan's full anger, it was, I believe, particularly galling that the incident was a work, the work of an Englishman. Stan never paraded his nationality, but he was proud of it and always retained his British passport. In the situation of which I speak, he had granted an interview to an English journalist, given him lavish hospitality in the beautifully furnished Laurel apartment overlooking the Pacific, and had expected, at the very least, honest reporting. The journalist left in an effusion of thanks and good fellowship. A few weeks later, Stan was astounded to receive a letter from his sister in England, expressing, expressing anxious concern over his financial condition. Similar letters arrived from friends abroad. 
A number of French journalists flew in from Paris with a substantial check representing a collection taken up by the readers of a large French newspaper which had conducted a campaign to help, in their words, quote, this poor and ailing genius, end quote. After asking the Frenchmen, who were astounded at the poshness of his apartment, to turn the money over to charity, Stan quickly tracked down the source of all this misinformation to the English newspapermen. This worthy had written a sob sister story for his paper in London, in which Stan was presented as a forlorn, sick, impecunious man forgotten by Hollywood and the world. The story distressed and angered him so much not only because a sensation-hungry fellow countryman was the source, but also because it was the germ of a popular impression, still current among some people, that Stan was a poor man. For the record, let it be said here plainly that Stan Laurel, although no longer a wealthy man, was far from a poor one. To use a phrase which surely everyone understands, he was well off. He left his widow well off. And that's the end of my quote. So, I bring all this up in order to ask, what do I think Stan Laurel would have thought of this novel? I think he would have regarded it with the same disdain as he regarded the article from his uh, fellow countryman who tried to make him out to be a poor, bitter old man. Uh, in fact, the book has that same tone and seems to want to continue the myth. And I, for one, am here to uh, try to keep people from reading, reading the book. Obviously, if you want to read it, that's your choice. But I'm here to warn you about it that uh, it's not going to make any friends with people who have read it, know well, know well about Stan Laurel or Laurel and Hardy. And I'm afraid that it's going to either alienate or confound people who are uh, sort of vaguely interested in Laurel and take this book as real. All right, so that's the end of my rant. And uh, thank you for indulging me, but I just had to get it out of my system. Uh, I appreciate you listening. I promise you, uh, if this is your first time listening, the other 28 episodes, the previous episodes of this podcast are a lot milder and more optimistic, so I hope that you will listen to them. And again, if this is your first time listening, uh, I hope you will let people know about the podcast. And in particular, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave a five-star summary and or a review of the podcast. It really helps. Let me mention a couple of other other things that I usually plug in these podcasts. Uh, I invite you to visit my Facebook page that is devoted to this podcast. It has the same name as the podcast, Hard Boiled Eggs and Nuts, dash, a Laurel and Hardy podcast. And on that Facebook page, on the cover photo, uh, you can see the URL for the website for the podcast, as well as the URLs for venues where you can find this podcast including Google Play Music, iTunes, and uh, Anchor, the parent website that sponsors this podcast. And, final, and additionally, excuse me, uh, I have a website that I've had up for the last 18 years devoted to Laurel and Hardy. It includes my reviews of their movies as a team, uh, reviews of some of their biographies, interviews with some of their biographers, and tons and tons of other stuff to keep you Laurel and Hardy enthusiasts occupied for several hours on end. The website can be found at leaveemlaughing.moviefever.com. That is leaveemlaughing.moviefever.com. And finally, if you have anything uh, interesting to say about this podcast, good or bad, I welcome feedback, especially on this particular episode. So if you want to uh, write to me and vent about what a terrible book reviewer I am, or if you just want to say anything in general, positive or negative, about the podcast, Feel free to email me at hardboiledeggsandnuts 
at Outlook.com. Again, I thank you for listening and indulging me. And uh, until next time, this is Steve Bailey saying goodbye.